Cheerio! As human beings, don't we enjoy enjoyment? This is Five Golden Things, The Liberty Lists, a podcast of whimsy from Liberty Church Collingswood and libertycollingswood.org. We'll hear from friends as we explore everything from potent potables to morsel delectables, awkward laughables to moment teachables. You'll get lots of different categories, but remember that for each one, there can be only five. Plus a mulligan or two. Five, four, three, two, one. Lift off. Welcome, everybody, to Five Golden Things, the Liberty Lists. And we are going to have a great conversation today. Myself, joined by Gabby Ford. Gabby, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Doing really well. We had some technical difficulties just a moment ago, but we are, we are all set. So Gabby is a good friend. She and her husband, Matt, one of the joys of pandemic for Emily and me was doing premarital counseling for this young couple, Matt and Gabby. Uh, Gabby, it really was a, a ton of fun. And you and Matt are awesome, both individual individually and together. And Little did I know when we were doing premarital counseling with with you that maybe a year or year and a half later, we'd be doing a podcast. The title for today is Five Golden Silhouettes. Gabby, you'll be talking to us about your favorite periods of fashion, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be a lot of fun. So why, why this topic? Some of you might know Gabby, our regular listeners. Others, others may may not. As uh, we're we're big in Azbekistan, so we we actually do have one uh, listener from there. Nice. Um, uh, yeah. So so why fashion? Tell tell me a little bit, Gabby, about your relationship to yeah. this topic. Um, well, I've been sewing for twenty years now mm-hmm. since I was seven years old. I've been into fashion. Um, not really on and off like some other interests of mine. Yeah. It's been really consistent fashion and dance. And mm-hmm. being a dance teacher, um, it's definitely saved me a lot of time and money making my own yeah. dance dresses. Right. Never will I ever spend over a thousand dollars for a dress that I'm going to wear over just like every once in a while. Yeah. It's never going to happen. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. So so I remember, and maybe this was just a month or two ago when it was still cold. I. I mentioned, I forget if it was to you or to Matt, I, I said, hey, that's a really great like winter jacket, winter oh, coat yeah. that, that, <laughs> that you're wearing. And it turned out that you, you designed it and, and made it. So yeah. that's pretty remarkable. How, yeah, thank you. How many clothing items at a given time do you, have you designed and, and made yourself? I don't know. Well, I've designed several things for other people, made some okay. other things for some friends, yeah. family, you know, people that I just run into randomly, mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes ask for things and I just sure. hand out my business cards. Yeah. Um, I don't know. They come and go. Yeah. Um, you know, as a kid, my skills were not really as polished sure. as they are now. Yeah. So like That's throughout the, the learning process, yeah. things have kind of gotten recycled and reused. Uh-huh. But I'm trying to convert my entire wardrobe into either handmade items or thrifted items. That, so, that is awesome. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It saves a lot of um, resources, I yeah. think. Not necessarily doesn't always save money mm-hmm. because it's not always cheaper to make it yourself. 
Interesting. With my wedding dress, uh-huh. it was definitely cheaper to make my dress and my veil myself. Yep. But if I'm out and I see a pair of pants, um, the quality that is in the stores nowadays is not the quality that it was like 20 years ago. Really? So sometimes it's much better to thrift items huh. or to even make it yourself. Yeah. And when you do make it yourself, it usually lasts a lot longer. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's jump into the topic at hand. Gabby, before we went on air here, I said sometimes with Five Golden Things, I'll be talking about a topic in conversation that I know a good bit about. Others, not not so much. Mm-hmm. You should know that I am a fashion expert. And, okay. And cool. it's, it's, it's very possible that I'll learn nothing new in this conversation <laughs> okay, because awesome. of all my best, <laughs> best stories of knowledge. But I say we give it a try. So we can geek out together. <laughs> there there we go. <laughs> Yeah. So, so, and sometimes the five golden things we do a countdown or count up is what's, is there a chronological tiering to this or is it like five favorites or? I don't have it in order of favorites to least. It's in order of timeline. Gotcha. Okay. Well, let's start with your number one, which I guess would be the earliest. Is that true? Yes. We're starting in 1300 BC. Wow. Ancient Egypt. Okay. So So. so Gabby has her laptop here just to interject that that I'm I'm seeing slides in that sort of thing. Maybe maybe this would be something for for me and Pat to talk through. We've never really done show notes mm-hmm. and Gabby we can eliminate this from the podcast if you're not comfortable <laughs> saying but but like I wonder if there's a way that we can get some of yeah, these like I don't know if I can email this to you yeah and just include it right but okay. I don't know there are a lot of slides on here so I don't know if everyone will want to go through everything yeah but like I don't know maybe one thing from yeah that would be awesome period so we're looking at the bust of Nefertiti mm-hmm 1353 to 1335 BC. Right. Yeah. And the thing that really interests me about this. Yeah. I mean, she looks just like my mother, so it's always been really? my she looks just like my mother. Okay. You'll meet her on Father's Day at <laughs> church. Um, yeah, she looks just like my mother, so this piece has always just drawn my interest, uh-huh. and I've always had warm, fuzzy feelings right? <laughs> about Nefertiti. Um, Mom. We call her Nefertanya. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. What's remarkable about this is not only was it never fully finished, like Mm -hmm. never included her second eye, and I think some of the fresco work is undone as well. Yeah. Um, But the fresco is just something that's always drawn my interest because it lasts forever and you're able to see the colors, the dyes that they had accessible. It is striking. Why they use the colors in Mm -hmm. Egyptian art. We see a lot of blue. Mm -hmm. Um. And we understand that that's because they worshipped the sky god, and that was one of the ways that they thought it was, you know, pleasing to yep. their god. And the different dyes that they had accessible to them, the different mm-hmm. dyes that were imported, and then the jewelry designs. And we can actually see a lot of things starting to come back yeah. into fashion. Not only like Egyptian symbols, mm-hmm. but um, color patterns, um, dress designs. Right. Are, are those things that are, those things coming back, are they intentionally drawn from this period or is it more that things cycle and it's coincidence or a little bit um, of both? I think it's a little bit of both. Okay. More so, I think, in the, the designs, a lot of artists, you know, pull from other artists and right. just get inspired yeah. by different periods. Right. But oh, another so this thing is... that I have, it's, it's a beaded dress from mm-hmm. 2400 B.C., 
Okay. I'm like trying to see my, my mouse here. I yeah. bring my glasses today. So that's another thing. The beaded dresses, or they called them netted dresses, mm-hmm. um, all throughout Egyptian history, a lot of people were actually buried in net. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people, like today, they call them mummy beads. Right. Um, I have a necklace. I wasn't able to bring it today. I've uh-huh. got mummy beads, and it's almost the exact same color. Um, the original color was more close to a lapis, mm-hmm. but over a few thousand years, you know, things right. fade out yeah. a little bit. So so we're looking at a sleeveless dress. Yes, this would have been worn over top of a linen dress. Okay. And linen was really big in Egypt because yeah. of just how the textile works, mm-hmm. how it absorbs moisture and evaporates it. Right. And the linen that we have, or I should say the quality of linen that we have today mm-hmm. is not half as good as it was a few thousand years ago. Okay. Egyptian linen They don't linen make them was, like they used to. No, they really don't. Uh-huh. Um, so the Egyptian linen was almost transparent. Right. So it was very light, very comfortable. Hmm. Um, they had different textures for yeah. different people. If you were in a palace, you would have had a really fine linen. Yeah. Um, if you were working in the palace, maybe not so great. Right. And, and so the dress is long, yeah. longer, and it looks to be... F- fairly form-fitting as well yeah um i think this is a obviously this the thread has been completely disintegrated and Mm -hmm. a team of people at a museum had to re-thread this but they found this from a tomb and they were able to redo the exact same pattern based off of what was just lying on right the the victim yeah (laughs) sure Yeah, so this would have also been worn not just in the grave, but um, to different ceremonies. Um, different dancers yeah. would have worn this just mm-hmm. for entertaining. So we actually see this style of jewelry and mm-hmm. dress design coming back. Um, we saw it come back a little bit in the 1920s. Okay. Um, the beaded dress is not really the same design, and yeah. not everything, of course, was form-fitting, yeah. and it wasn't worn over linen in the 20s it Mm -hmm. was worn over silk yep because that's going to be a little bit of a stronger textile not very breathable okay at all (laughs) a stronger textile it was was a dry heat yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) and people you know in the 20s they were not they had different um architecture to keep them cooler than, than egypt yeah but but that does look i mean i could see that I mean, it's a it's a for, it's a formal wear sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but but I I could see that, you know, before the Oscars or yeah, um, <laughs> uh, or at the Met Gala or, or yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Definitely. So it's strikingly contemporary. Styles definitely coming back. So I harped on linen fabric yep. a little bit, and we see a lot of it in the fresco. Um, some of the frescoes we can see the linen is a little bit more transparent. Yeah. Than other linen. Um, and I lost my mouse again. Does, Here it is. Does linen come, this is a uh, newbie question, from cotton? No, sometimes you'll see a cotton linen, like I'm wearing a cotton linen blend. Okay. Um, which is not as cool as 100% linen. Uh-huh. Linen actually comes from a flax plant. Oh, okay. Whereas cotton comes more from like a flower. So right. it's made to hold moisture. Gotcha. And linen is made, it comes from a reed. So mm-hmm. it's made to draw the moisture up and evaporate it. So my, my, my linen journey a few years ago at church during the summer, I was wearing linen shorts yeah. and, and also a linen like short sleeved shirt nice. and a guy came up to me after the service 
do you know when people when you're not sure if it's a compliment or not mm -hmm. uh he said <laughs> jim that is that is a commitment to linen that you're showing right now and I was i'll like, take it as a okay, compliment yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, linen's bougie nowadays. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really, in. and especially with global warming. How so? It's, it's really coming back just like with hotter summers, a lot of humidity. I see what you mean. Yeah. Like, right. we really Breathable. need it. Uh -huh. But it, it's just hard to find good quality. So huh. it really is. If you go to like any textile store and they mm -hmm. have it, you can tell when it's not very good quality. If it's a really close weave mm -hmm. and if it's soft, that's okay. what you're going to want to look for. Something that's really like tough, spaced out, you can see through it. Yep. It's not going to take care of you and last very long. It okay. may keep you cool, right? but it's very easy to get holes. So breathable, so, but not durable. Yeah. Okay. So that's number one. That, that was Egypt. So we're just skipping ahead. Looks to be a couple years here. Yeah, to... <laughs> quite a couple. We're looking at the 18th century. Uh-huh. Is the second golden silhouette. So I have a couple slides of Queen Charlotte and mm -hmm. just how the silhouettes changed throughout time. Because she was on the throne for quite a few years. Mm -hmm. And the fashion changed a lot from the 18th century to the early 19th century. Okay. And... It, She's a little bit different than the average queen because she was really close with her children. Mm -hmm. And you see that she's not always wearing a lot of gold and a lot of jewelry in this right. picture. She just has a plain pearl necklace yeah. and is actually wearing a black shawl. And I don't know if she's like coming out of mourning with that shawl right. or not. Okay. Um, but the only really decorative thing she has in a lot of the pictures is lace and silk you don't really see her with a lot of crazy hairstyles gotcha and at this time in the 18th century the hair height was not all equal okay um and we'll get into the hair height <laughs> a little yeah. bit further down the line um the next slide we have is from the early 1800s okay um, this is charlotte's dress that they they found and were able to um conserve really well um, and it's an empire waist as opposed to a, an early 18th century dress with like the wide hips you see the mm -hmm. triangle shapes right and the powdered wigs uh -huh. um, whereas this is a more of an empire waist okay now is that is that it in like an inner lining dress or one that she would wear on the no, this is that... this is a lace dress yeah okay. this is a decorative gown she would have had oh i see i see yeah I wonder if I can zoom in. No, I'm gonna ruin it if I zoom in. Okay. So, so is the Empire Waist one that's that's tucked right? Yes. With the... That's around. Oh, what did I do? I'm ruining the slide here. Okay. No worries. Yeah, the Empire Waist is just around under the chest. Mid, yeah, mid rib cage. Okay. Um. A lot of modern movies are not always a good representation of costumes because they don't mm -hmm. always draw from history. Right. Sometimes they just draw from stereotype mm -hmm. as opposed to history. Gotcha. But yes, this is an empire waist gown. This is more of an evening gown. Uh -huh. um, something that's... Oh, there's a mic in my face. Okay. This is an evening gown, right. empire waist, a lot of lace, a long train. So that would be something that she wore in the evening rather than just during the day yep. that would have gotten terribly ruined yeah. and torn apart all right so this is another example of mid-18th century gown this is mm -hmm. a dress that i made just so you can see the silhouette oh, it's gorgeous thank you 
Now, this does not. It's on the list have... of phrases that I've never actually said myself. <laughs> this, this, this is a dress that I have made, <laughs> but <laughs> it's is, awesome. Yeah, thank you. This is not a type of textile that they would have worn, mm -hmm. but this will give you an idea of the colors that they would have worn, okay. like light palettes. Um, usually, depending on what year it was, it would have had a lot more structure in the hips, mm -hmm. um, and the sleeve is around like elbow length. Right. And um, so we're looking at what kind of light green would you call that? A um, not like a lime green, more like a pea green, Okay, I guess, like a light pea green, or they have a lot of new bougie terms for this right. color green, like ocean foam and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know okay. what, what the bougie name would have been in the 18th century for this right. color of green. Now we, we call it uh, like a, a sea foam green. Sea foam green. Dress. Here we yes, go. Yes, it's a sea foam green dress with almost like a, a triangle shaped um, abdomen. Mm -hmm. And it hooks an eyes up the front, and it's actually not attached at the front. It's attached at the back. Um, a lot of 18th century dresses you see will just have like an open front mm -hmm. with a, um, a silk petticoat underneath. Okay. But this is this is closed all the way around. Hmm. It has um, some ivory lace and satin ribbon and some flowers decorating the neckline. A lot of things that you see from that period as well mm -hmm. is the square neckline. Okay. It is very popular. Are, is, is this iteration of fashion reacting against something else or changing? Or like it's it's this way because it doesn't want to do this anymore? Um, or is it just natural evolution over time sort of thing? I think it's natural evolution over time, but the shape in the 18th century was not very curvy. Okay. It was more like a straight triangle. Mm -hmm. So all the curve that you see in the abdomen and the waist here, that's not very 18th century. A lot of things were heavily starched and boned, mm -hmm. and they used different textiles that gave it a lot of body. Yeah. Like, um, the way that they layered materials right. kept it really flat and stiff, whereas yeah. a lot of clothing today that's more comfortable, we yeah. just it's yeah. a little bit more loosey goosey. Right. Um, so the shape of the neckline definitely changed. It was it was very square in the 18th century yeah. um, for women. Okay. Ah, Marie Antoinette. Yeah, Marie Antoinette. So this is Marie Antoinette on the right um, as a child. I think she was. 10 in this picture, okay. between 10 and 14 mm -hmm. in Austria before right. she moved to France. Um, this is a later picture of her in France, a lot more embellished, more French colors and styles and textures. Yeah. And then this middle picture here is a little bit more scandalous for that time. And yeah. this is one of the gowns that led to her unfortunate death. Okay. Because it's not a fine silk. She doesn't really have any jewelry on in this. Mm -hmm. It's very casual. And it's made of a sheer cotton. Mm -hmm. This is something that a lot of women would wear for undergarments rather than like a day dress. Oh. So people saw it and just got outraged. So, and so they would have seen that and said, "Why are you like you're in your, your underwear yeah, sort of thing?" Huh, yeah, interesting. And they would. I mean, it doesn't look like that from today's standpoint. But yeah. French fashion in the 18th century, of course, was a little bit different than it is today. Right. Um, but then after. Her death, you see people actually adapting the style a yeah. lot more. How do you like me now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so with fashion in this period too, Gabby, in terms of like female form, uh, like 
accentuate are you are you trying are these styles trying to like accentuate female form for like sexiness and attractiveness or conceal or i think a little bit of both okay um, especially with all the padding that they had in the skirt. Yeah. And that changed a lot throughout time. In the 18th century, there was a lot of padding, a lot of structure. Mm -hmm. You see a lot of dresses with almost like the hip area, almost as wide as this <laughs> dining yeah. room table. Right. Um, and throughout time, you see it here in her Austrian painting, very structured mm -hmm. and does not look as comfortable. It's a little bit more restrictive. Right. Um, and then later on, you see a little bit of that as well. And then in the center picture, in the later, it's a lot more relaxed. Yeah. And comfortable. Mm -hmm. And every day, it's not really a gown that royalty wore right. back then. So that's another reason of why people were outraged. Yeah. Because for a while, she stopped supporting the silk industry which made a lot of money from her. Uh -huh. And then the cotton industry really blew up. <laughs> and that became scandalous as well. Oh, the scandals. Yeah. <laughs> of a queen wearing a, a cotton dress. Huh. That would be like Queen Elizabeth wearing jeans and a t-shirt. Right. Like, <laughs> Forever 21. Not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So then hair hygiene, a lot of myths about fashion and hair hygiene. Mm -hmm. Um and obviously, we don't really powder our hair much today. Um, but back in well, this speak age, for yourself, but yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I know you, you might have a little powder, a powder on today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually um, a hair product they use called pomade or pompadom is another name yeah. for it. It was an animal fat that they would grease their hair with, comb it through, and then powder on top. And that would huh. actually keep their hair um, clean. Okay. Sure. I don't know how, but it would, yeah. it would actually keep the hair clean. So right. when your hair got greasy, you would put more of the pomade and the powder on it uh -huh. to keep it. I mean, obviously, pe things still happened. People yeah. still got some some hair hygiene issues like yeah. lice and all that wonderful yeah. stuff. But this really kept it so that way you could only wash your hair like once a year. Woo. Now, would I want to do that? Absolutely not. But people did and it worked for them. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> the hair height. Different folks for different yeah. folks. Yeah. And a lot of pictures that we see from the 18th century mm -hmm. really accentuates the hair height. Yeah. It was not always, you know, three to five feet tall. Yeah. It usually was around like a foot, uh -huh. which is pretty tall for yeah. hair. And then they would add hats on top of that. Right. So it would really, you know, it would become a skyscraper after I'm, a I'm while. I'm looking at some big hair right, right yeah. now. Yeah, definitely. This style, I think, really came back in the 60s and the 70s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit different. Right. So if you had a lot of hair, um, pomade and powder in, something that you would need is an umbrella. It's like the, the 18th century umbrella hat that kind of came in the 90s. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> so they would put on a, it's called a clash bonnet over top of that, and that gave it some height as well. So if you went out and it was raining or windy, you would need to put something on to just cover up your hair height. Right. It's quite a production. Yeah, it's, it's quite the production. So in this picture on the left, you can see a huge hat on top of this and then the clash bonnet over that. Um, definitely don't go out on an extremely windy day. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the second uh, golden silhouette. The third is the 19th century. All right. And 
we're going to talk a little bit about day wear, evening wear. Mm -hmm. um, on this first slide is a, a silk evening dress that I made okay. inspired by 19th century. Uh -huh. So Elizabeth Keckley is a famous designer from the 1800s, mm -hmm. early 1900s. Um, she's mostly known for designing and making Mary Todd Lincoln's gowns. Oh, okay. Um, these are, I believe this belonged to Elizabeth Keckley and Mary Todd Lincoln's gowns are the two gotcha. outer pictures. Okay. And different silhouette a little bit than the 18th century. Mm -hmm. The shape is a little bit more relaxed, yeah. a little bit more comfortable, um, not necessarily as stiff as um, the 18th century. You see a lot of pleating mm -hmm. in the blouses now, which was... Um, I think more drawn from the early or the late 18th century with the yeah. Marie Antoinette style, getting mm -hmm. a little bit more relaxed. Um, the waistline does come up a little bit to yeah. the natural waist. It mm -hmm. doesn't always have that long triangled look. Yep. And the skirt is a little bit more rounded and full. Yeah. Now, a lot of the pictures that we see with huge um, crinolines or hoop skirts, mm -hmm. They really were not that big. Okay. Um, this is just like the average size for a hoop skirt. Gotcha. And you could also convert gowns from day wear into evening wear. Okay. And day wear would usually be like a light cotton material or mm -hmm. like a light cotton muslin. Printed cottons were pretty expensive. So yeah. you see a lot of... Um, printed cottons among like a, a higher class. Um, this slide is a cotton muslin blouse hmm. with a tortoise shell belt and a silk skirt. So you could convert something like this um, during the day into yeah. an evening dress and just place like a, this is a ball gown. Um, mm -hmm. You could make the skirts a little bit bigger or smaller by adding petticoats onto that. Right. Um, and in the 19th century, they would wear up to like 11 layers huh. sometimes. Yeah. So you really had to be creative. And when the cage, um, the hoop skirt came, right. that gave people a lot more freedom to wear less petticoats. And it yeah. was a lot lighter, a lot more comfortable. And not all the gowns from this century um, are as comfortable as they look. Mm -hmm. A ball gown's going to be a little bit more restrictive because it's more of a decorative piece. Gotcha. But you do need to move quite a lot. So the construction of this gown is, or of these gowns in general, are pretty, you, you have to get pretty creative. Like, mm -hmm. how do I stay cool in this? A lot of times you see um, a cotton lining yeah. in something like this or mm -hmm. something that you could easily um, keep clean. Right. And you don't very often see a lot of lace along the hemline, okay. especially in day wear, because mm -hmm. that's something that's very expensive that can easily get torn, ripped. Yeah. You usually see a lot of the lace on the sleeve or the neckline. Mm -hmm. Was was that your wedding dress that I just saw? No, this was... Um, and I'm going to the wrong slide again here. Me with technology. No, this is a ball gown. This is a, a ivory satin ball gown. Mm -hmm. The bottom half is um, just a satin and the top is satin with um, like a lace um, design over top of it. Yeah. And this ruffly stuff you see along the neckline is called a bertha. Just different ways that the 
the colors would change throughout time. Mm -hmm. You don't really see a whole lot of Berthas in the 17th or in the 18th century. Okay. They start to emerge a little bit more in the 19th century. And and that dress, is it off one shoulder and on the other? No, that's just, I'm, I'm sitting that weird in that. Okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's gotcha. equal on, on both shoulders, yeah. Sometimes you would see a little bit more embellishment on one shoulder mm -hmm. with like a feather or flowers or something. Gotcha. But yeah, this picture is just my, the angle of the camera and posture. Okay. Same with this gown. This is a little bit, um, has a little bit less embellishment because the material is really um, not necessarily loud, mm -hmm. but the material is pretty embellished already. So it just has a... Um, so I'm seeing a blue satin. Yeah, it's a blue satin brocade. Um, and satin brocade is very, it's not very cool. Okay. It does not take care of you. You will die in this dress. So you have to be, sometimes if you were at a dance, yeah. if you got overheated, like you really needed to take... A break. Okay. And I used to teach, um, studying ballroom history, I used to teach a lot of 19th century dances. Mm -hmm. And it really is a workout. Huh. It's like 19th century Zumba. Yeah. So you really needed to be creative. This dress has a cotton lining. Mm -hmm. Does, really does brocade to refer to the pattern or the um yeah it's the pattern of the textile so okay. a satin brocade is just a, a plain satin fabric mm -hmm. um and then after it's woven it would be embroidered gotcha. on top of that with okay. another like satin or silk embroidery okay which and i guess would be part of the fabric. not super breathable like um, all the layers or yeah it's not as layered as you would think it's just a slight embroidery okay. over the material it's the the satin is not very breathable. Gotcha. And this is a taffeta gown, another example of ball gowns. You see a lot of higher fluffy sleeves, which mm -hmm. you did not see in um, the 1700s. Another full skirt, floral embellishments, and a bertha. What, what does taffeta mean? It's just like the a, a different fabric. Okay. It's similar to a... I want to say it's a, a very thin, it feels like a very thin and uh, sturdy satin. Okay. It has a lot of structure. It's very slippery. Mm -hmm. It can be a nightmare to work with. Gotcha. Definitely. But it's going to be a lot lighter than the brocade satin. Okay. That brocade satin dress has to weigh about 50 pounds. It's, it's very heavy. Right. Um, so then further on in the 1800s, going into the 1870s, mm -hmm. you have different silhouettes. A lot of the, um, the shaping around the neckline and the abdomen and the sleeves mm -hmm. was the same. But then you see the waistline drop a little bit longer yep. and the skirts thin out a little, just a little bit. Yeah. And you see a lot more bustle embellishments. And a bustle would be... How to describe it? If you were to put on a skirt and almost put a pillow yeah, <laughs> under it, right. that would be a bustle. So you see a lot more bustle embellishments, different shapes, and you would drape a lot. Yeah. And this gets expensive when you're working with materials. Yeah, so they got creative with and... yeah, they got creative with with the gowns. Mm -hmm. um, and this green dress is actually a cotton sateen. Okay. That's like a, a shimmery cotton material. Right. So this dress is actually very comfortable, hmm. extremely breathable. You have a lot of movement. 
it's not like evening or prom gowns you wear today. Like yeah. they were made for um, for you to move in and they move okay. with you, especially depending on the textile you use. They really move with you. Hmm. So different bustles throughout time. The lobster tail uh-huh. was really popular. This is a lobster tail here and bustle. It's, it's basically a cage that you strap on behind you yeah. and it, it straps at your waist and you, you have a, a huge cage in that. You can take that out fishing or, uh-huh. or crabbing <laughs> with what, you. Uh, what's it feel like to actually wear a bustle like that? Um, I have not worn a lobster tail bustle. There are so many different types of bustles. Like mm-hmm. they have numerous types. Some of them will um, kind of bang against your legs a okay. little bit. Not always comfortable to wear. Yeah. A shorter bustle would definitely be a little bit more comfortable, like the gotcha. ones up top. And there were even um, some pretty unpopular bustles, like air-filled bustles. <laughs> wow. <laughs> spit out your water there. <laughs> It's actually a funny story of a woman who was at a Charles Dickens reading uh-huh. and she had an air filled bustle. And when she sat down, she completely like whoopee cushioned it. Funny. Like it, it burst. And yep. she was so embarrassed oh. and humiliated. Oh. And it was right there in front of Charles Dickens. So oh, not no. her proudest moment. <laughs> Needless to say, this, this air filled bustle didn't, didn't last yeah. very long. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the most popular thing. <laughs> And then day wear for the 19th century was not as advanced. I I shouldn't say not as advanced. It was a little bit more casual than Mm -hmm. the 18th century in terms of materials like the textiles and the designs. Um, It doesn't have the triangle shape for a lot of the day wear. It's Mm -hmm. like a nice, you could wear a nice blouse with a skirt or even a day dress, uh, the same print. Yeah. for everything and dress it up dress it down you could do lace mm-hmm. if you were in mourning that was a little bit of a, a different dress code and then something like a wool coat if you were going out you could match it with your purse a coat a shawl a hat parasol if you need it mm-hmm. so just just different outing wear that you could um, pair it with as well so this wool coat is another creation i actually just sold this to a theater company hmm. um it's a wool material, like a wool felt, um, paired with a velvet silk. Um, and the velvet silk is just embellishing it. Mm-hmm. This is a pattern um, that was a recreation from, I think, 1863. Hmm. So it's pretty period accurate in how it would have looked and how it would have felt. And the wool, it actually is pretty thin for mm-hmm. a winter coat. Um, it has a silk lining. So with the silk paired with the wool, that would keep you warm. Like I went to, remember that really cold day we had in January? It was like the coldest yeah, day of the year right. and we got a snowstorm. Um, Matt and I were smart enough to go out on that day <laughs> to the Philly Orchestra. Uh-huh. And I wore my wool coat and a wool dress and that kept me completely warm very nice walking a few blocks to get to the kimmel center so yeah the good quality wool will go a long way a long way and then further on in the 1800s you see the hat shape start to change a Mm -hmm. little bit more and this hat is not really going to give you any sun protection it's merely for fashion okay um because 
Why not? You could pair it with a parasol mm-hmm. or something that would actually give you some sun protection, whereas this hat is going to protect you a little bit more. So the second hat we're looking at bigger is... Bigger brim. Yeah, it's a bigger brim. It's a straw hat mm-hmm. with some silk and feather embellishments, whereas the other hat, um, this is a, a recreation I did from the Anna Karenina movie mm-hmm. that came out. Hmm. And definitely not very comfortable. You have to keep a pin or a comb or something ask, yeah. inside. Sitting because sideways. It, on yeah, the <laughs> that's there. definitely pinned in place. And then you see earlier, or I should say later fashions coming out today, mm-hmm. which is Afro-Victorian. A lot of, there was a movie that came out. I think it was called Jingle Jangle or something. Okay. Um, it's like a kitty. Um, I, th- I think they tried to be a little Hamilton with okay. it. Uh-huh. Um, but it takes place around like the Victorian age, and it's all yeah. a fictional thing. But you see a lot of Afro-Victorian starting to come out. So this is based off of garments that would have been worn, like undergarments that would have been worn in the um, 19th century. Mm-hmm. But you can dress them up and dress them down to make it acceptable to wear today. Like yeah. I wore this dress to the Mayfair huh. this weekend, and I didn't feel weird in it. Right. I didn't feel like I was wearing a costume. Yeah. So different ways that you can match up modern textiles mm-hmm. and prints to make it work for whichever period yeah. you you want to wear. So, so, so Afro-Victorian was was that a th- a thing during the Victorian period itself, or is it, or, or do you mean that um, it's more of like a contemporary? It comes, yeah, it actually does come or? from that period. A lot of African ma- women would pair a mix match of, of fabrics mm-hmm. to make it a little bit more similar to Af- African fabrics and African yeah. prints. Um, and later on, we do see a lot of African prints um, that are, you know, different designs and different styles, but this is really coming from the, the 19th century. Gotcha. And the pattern is, is from the 19th century. But. Mm. And then the next golden silhouette is the 1910s. 1910s. So around the Titanic age. Right. Downton Abbey age. Yep. See, this is where we see a lot of beadwork. Okay. And the dresses, different ways that it was layered and different even jewelry designs, mm-hmm. hairstyles. The hats really expand and get hats enormous. Got bigger, the right? hats got bigger and heavier. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the shape also changes. Um, the waistline can be either up or down, mm-hmm. um, but it's really lengthened by a lot of like mid-hip, um, I don't want to say mid-hip, waistlines that came a little bit later in the 20s but you see a lot of embellishment that starts um it closes at the waist Mm -hmm. and then fans out right under the hip and then the skirt continues to lengthen Hmm. a little bit so that's one way that the the silhouette was a little bit more relaxed women were working yeah actual jobs right and getting paid for it Mm -hmm. not very much but as women's rights continued on, like the the fashion and the silhouette changed a little bit. Yeah, I am looking at some crazy big hats. Yeah, <laughs> right. I have yeah. I have some pulled pictures from Titanic, My Fair Lady, a lot of beaded evening wear. Yeah, um, and then workwear as well. So on this slide, I have some women. Um, this is around. I think this picture was taken in nineteen. 12, 19, mm-hmm. 13, around the Titanic age. Okay. Um, you see the shoes changing a little bit. 
things are again more practical yeah. like these women are not wearing really any embellishments at all this woman has a feather in her hair but they're average working women mm-hmm. that finally have some jobs that they're getting paid for right and then in the center we see a couple this picture is from 1910 um, a native american couple she's wearing um Americanized 1910 wear um, a mid-waisted um, slim skirt and a cotton blouse mm-hmm. with a brooch and she has like a Gibson girl hairstyle and he's wearing more Native American traditional mm-hmm. um, clothing. This is a couple that have a, a picture together. She's right. wearing one style, he's wearing the next. And then we have photo editing. <laughs> not all the pictures that we see from that time. Not everybody had a waist the uh-huh. size of a child, right. like a, a three-year-old. Yeah. Um, this picture is, is of a the uh, Gibson girl look. Mm-hmm. This picture is edited. So a lot of the photo editing you see from that time with people standing just yeah. against a background. Uh-huh. Usually they were dark backgrounds, so that way they could trim some things. A lot of times they oh, edited the skin, huh. took out blemishes and freckles. So that's not only a recent development. Yeah. Well, I guess there's a, is there a backlash against altered photos and like fashion magazines and stuff now? Am I misremembering? Um, no, it's definitely, they're definitely highly edited. I think okay. people are starting to chill out a little bit more right. and getting actual models with real bodies yeah. and they're allowing freckles and, right. you know, different skin textures and colors as well. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody has a birthmark, sometimes they'll edit it out, but some companies are, are a little bit chill yeah. about that right. right now. Yeah. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so there is a long history of editing and touching yeah up. there is i think as long as the camera has been around there's been a, a history of photo editing huh. um yeah we don't really see a lot of pictures um unedited with people with like two inch waistlines that's right. just scientifically it, it doesn't work yeah so if you had a, a black background you could just kind of color in the waistline and take right. things out i don't know how they edited the skin though that's really interesting and then in the 1910s, we see the silhouettes changing and we see pants coming in or a split skirt. Uh-huh. So when women were um, able to ride bikes, the fashion changed for that. And mm-hmm. The skirt she's wearing in the picture all the way on the left, um, it's called a split skirt. It buttons on both sides and you're able to unbutton one side and kind of flap it over to the other. And it's just a pair of pants. Oh, yeah, I, I wouldn't have recognized those as pants. Yeah, or, uh... in this picture on the right hand side, a little bit of the pleating work here is mm-hmm. to hide the fact that she's wearing a, a gotcha. split skirt. Okay. And you can see her on the bike. Um, riding a bike with a full skirt is very dangerous I, yep. I speak from experience yeah <laughs> don't so, do it so so it, it was a move towards practicality yeah for... practicality and also women's rights mm-hmm. um as we see a picture of suffragettes here as yep. well and there were different colors that we see suffragettes wear hmm. um the traditional american colors we see are lavender and yellow okay um some other colors in in other countries were more of a green and lavender gotcha and i believe well we can I'm not sure the colors that they're wearing in their dresses, but the sashes that they have are um, yellow and lavender sashes for votes for women in okay. this picture. So with a split skirt, it the best way I can describe it is 
wearing a baggy pair of pants mm -hmm. with a lot of pleating in the back, yeah. ruffles in the back, to kind of hide the, the, uh, the pants. Mm -hmm. And you would put a flap over top of the front. So it would look like you're wearing a skirt from the front and uh -huh. you could undo that flap and get on your bike and actually be safe. No way. Yeah. So the mid 1900s, we see All the right. fashion really start to change. This is the around the 1950s. So the mid to late 1900s. Is this number five? Yes, this okay. is number five. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. So this is Billie Holiday. Some just some different fashion icons from that time. Mm -hmm. Obviously, everybody could not afford to wear lace, diamonds, mink, and really nice yeah. leather heels. Mm -hmm. Like that's just not our reality. But this is a scope of what could be done mm -hmm. with the fashion. Like when you have the money and the platform to do so. Yeah. What do you decide to do with it? How mm -hmm. much material? Right. And after World War Two the fashion really started to change a little bit because mm -hmm. you don't have the rations right. on fabric. Yeah. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But just different things that you could do with fashion. Another huge fashion icon is Audrey, Audrey Hepburn. Hepburn. Yep. Yeah, so you see a lot of full skirts, long skirts, and she was a model and a dancer as well. Grace Kelly um, was really a huge fashion icon, so mm -hmm. you can even look at all these women's pictures and see what could be worn in the 1950s, what was popular. Um, and we see a lot of these styles coming back. You could find this dress at any prom store or okay. any Macy's yeah. <laughs> that you went to today. Obviously, the huge collars of the 1960s are not very popular um, today. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these designs are starting to come back. And Elizabeth Taylor is another icon. This right. design for this, um, the halter top, started in around, I want to say, it started in ancient Egypt and then just came and hmm. went mm -hmm. for halter tops. Um, but they're very much in today. And then different ways that you can dress up and down the 1950s. This mm -hmm. is a 1950s inspired dress I made. Um, it's a silk chiffon or a, um, oh, I'm blanking on the name of this material. It's similar to a chiffon. Um, I'll remember at three o'clock in the morning there we go. and I'll text you. <laughs> <laughs> but after the war, you don't have the silk rations anymore. Okay. So the silk rations um, went towards parachutes. Yeah, I was going to ask. What, okay. Yeah, so you don't huh. see a lot of silk gowns. You don't see a lot of silk stockings yeah. at this time. It was around the time when nylons came in during mm -hmm. the war. Um, so after the war, people ran back to their rations. They ran back to... Um, there were also rations on how much material you could buy, how many mm -hmm. pleats you could have in your skirt. At that time, there were really strict Funny. rules okay. about that. So you see after... Um, the 1940s, the skirts start to expand a little bit, mm -hmm. um, things lengthening out a little bit and being a little bit more less practical. Yeah. And then people realized, hey, we were comfortable <laughs> during yeah. the war. <laughs> let's, hey, right. let's start to go yeah. back to that. So later on in the in the 60s, you see things getting a little bit more chill, not mm -hmm. really the pinned up look. Right. And you have different textiles and different um, patterns for different events. Uh -huh. um, the previous silk dress, this is actually 
designed to be a dance dress. So the top has a, a cotton lining. Mm -hmm. This is the back. Um, it has an invisible zipper, which was a huge mistake because invisible zippers are, are terrible quality. Okay. I'm going to definitely redo that. Yeah. <laughs> but you see the zippers starting to come later on in this time as well. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a silk dress. So again, that's not going to keep you as cool as a cotton dance dress. This right. is the um, black and white pictures, the same as the teal dress up here. Okay. This is a cotton 1950s, 60s mm -hmm. um, dance dress. Extremely comfortable, good quality material. Again, definitely lasts. And then we get into animal textiles. Right. So your wools and your furs, um, definitely good quality, mm -hmm. better quality. Um, but the way that we do it today is not always resourceful okay. <laughs> to our, our community, resourceful. Not, a lot of animal cruelty yeah. goes into it. Not so much with wool. Now, I haven't done it a huge amount of extensive research mm -hmm. into the wool industry, yeah. but it's definitely a lot more humane than furs. Okay. So the hat is, um, it's a, I think it's 1961 mm -hmm. is the hat. And then the rest of the fur is actually just recycled. These yeah. were recycled. Um, this was um, from a thrift store, like everything. There's a lot of fur and um, wool at thrift stores today that you can go and get everything that you need. Okay. You can go to consignment shops. Right. It's out there. We don't need to continue to kill animals for this. We can still look good and be warm and not <laughs> um, cause a lot of harm. Yep. And different ways that we can be resourceful mm -hmm. to our community and to our planet is by getting a lot of used clothing. Right. So... I actually got inspired to go thrifting from my grandmother, uh -huh. who was really the best thrifter okay. on the face. It's just one of those people where stuff jumps off of the shelves yeah. into, your, <laughs> into right. your cart. And you can get a lot of really good quality things with the tags on or off yep. that are used. And I really think this country, just as a whole, we missed out on so many ways hmm. that we could be resourceful to the right. planet by just trying to eliminate the Native American um, cultures and just ways of, hmm. of taking care of the planet and taking care of their families. Yeah. So a lot of ways that we can look back and be resourceful is um, taking care of the animals, taking care of... Um, the water taking care of the textiles that we yeah. use, the things, how we get those textiles. Right. Everything's connected. Yeah. And I've been doing a little bit of research into the fabric industry as a whole. Mm -hmm. And I've realized that a lot of the fabric that we get here is from Indonesia, India, and China. Right. And from the research I've done, India and China have a very high level of forced labor, hmm. even child labor in their textile factories. Okay. And the leather industry is pretty bad as well, pretty huh. inhumane and dangerous for people. Hmm. So that's another way that we can be really resourceful. There's different things, little things that we can do. Mm -hmm. Obviously, like every other item in our house, we get from, from China. Right. And, you know, we can't avoid everything but the things that we can do like get thrifted goods um try to support different small yeah, businesses yeah. that 
that have um, biodegradable materials, mm-hmm. um, materials that are used rather than the fast fashion yeah. industry. Um, and as far as how it affects our planet and global warming, a lot of the materials that we get from the store they're made to last for maybe a year or two right. and then be thrown away. Yeah. And I went into, what store was it? I think it was like a Boss Cobbs or a Penny's. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these materials are synthetic materials. Like we wear a lot of plastic nowadays, right. which it's not as comfortable. It's not as, yeah. um, it doesn't keep you really comfortable. It's, it may be soft, but it's not really made for human skin. So, so is that wear. like a polyester or rayon? Or? Yeah, like a polyester or rayon. Um, and some stores are recycling plastic and mm-hmm. making clothing, like even shoes hmm. are recycling plastic. But the majority of the plastics that we recycle doesn't really go towards that. And you can recycle textiles as well. Mm-hmm. But the majority of the things that go to um, textile recycling facilities mm-hmm. just ends up in a landfill. Huh. Same thing with, with fabric stores. I didn't know that. A lot of the things, a lot of the fabric stores, once things go on clearance, like and people don't buy them up, it just goes to a landfill. Mm. And they have stores that rescue materials so that way they don't go to landfills yeah. and, and get burned and then the chemicals you know, affect the ozone layer. Um, my favorite fabric store actually is Fleischmann Fabrics in Philly. It's on 4th Street. Okay. And they have all um, material that is, it's not like a lot of recycled material, but it's pulled from other fabric stores and industries so that it doesn't go to a landfill. It's right. all clearance fabric. Huh. Conserving. Yeah. And good quality stuff. Huh. Really great quality stuff. So that's everything I have on my slide today. It was definitely Woo-hoo! longer than <laughs> the average time. <laughs> but different ways that we can take care of our environment, take care of each other by being resourceful. Uh-huh. So. I, that's my new thing that I've really been diving into. Yeah. <laughs> Biodegradable materials are right. are better for us and the environment. That, so. that, that's awesome. Both both uh, the resourceful things that you're talking about at the end, Gabby, but then also uh, you walked us through a lot of fashion. Yeah, uh, a lot. But, but, <laughs> Ranted yeah. a lot. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> awesome. So 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 most of that stuff I don't think I was aware of and just a lot of fun to to talk through to yeah. to to wrap up here do you have just a tip or two for a guy or gal that would say hey like I, so in addition to the resourcefulness uh coaching just like hey like how do I take a step or two to be you know a better dresser like more more fashionable uh so if in case we have any five golden things listeners that, that are not at the top of their fashion game right now yeah okay um, uh, <laughs> what what advice do you have for don't for feel the don't feel a uh, peer pressure okay. to look the same way everyone else looks ah. because at the end of the day as long as you feel comfortable and you feel like yourself mm-hmm. that's really all that matters go for whatever you know makes you happy whatever yep. makes you feel good um, wear materials and look for things that will last a longer time. Mm-hmm. You may end up spending like a few extra dollars for some things. You yeah. may have to budget a little bit for it or right. um, dress things up by thrifting. But go for good quality materials because it's going to take care of you. Yeah. It's going to last longer. Mm-hmm. It's going to look better. And it's going to be better for the environment. Yep. 
So yeah. Yeah, and I am so in favor of the mom jeans coming back. <laughs> They're extremely comfortable. I'm not wishing to go back to the, the capri look, yeah. the, the cut-off pants, the cut-off jeans. Matt and I were talking about the cut-off t-shirts that came in the right. 90s and yeah. the upside-down visors. Some things we can just leave in the past and <laughs> not yeah. let them emerge again. That's funny. I so. I, I keep uh, uh, telling Emily that that still lying ahead of me is my... Uh, my men's tank top face. That, oh, yeah. Uh, that's going to be really good. So yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll keep you posted. Yeah, as long as you're not wearing a, a tank top, a homemade tank top with the, a t-shirt with the, the <laughs> sleeves cut off. Yeah. If it makes you feel good, okay. go for it. We'll do that. Yeah. Don't worry if your kids are trying to embarrass you. Like, yeah. they'll be fine. They'll be they'll fine. They'll live. They'll survive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you make, you wear whatever makes you feel happy. Whatever makes you feel good. That is a good word, and I think I think we'll we'll end with that. You just know a ton of stuff about this, so <laughs> like I we're, like to rant a lot. We we <laughs> we have been enriched by your knowledge and expertise. You're gifted in these areas, so thank you. Thank you so much for being on, and we'll catch everybody later. Ta ta, turtle doves. Thank you. Wow, that was definitely a top five episode of Five Golden Things: The Liberty Lists. And remember, kids. Schadenfreude ain't just a river in Egypt. Wade in the water a little deeper anytime at libertycollingswood.org and find us at the usual socials. Make us a top five follow, and you'll always be our number one. Toodle pip! <laughs>